This week's podcast is brought to you by Goo Energy Labs. Goo has been a leader in sports nutrition since inventing the energy gel over 25 years ago, fueling countless athletes to PRs, world championships, and Olympic appearances. With a variety of delicious energy, hydration, and recovery products, count on Goo to get you there. To find out more, follow them on Instagram at Goo Energy Labs. That's G-U Energy Labs. Hashtag Goo for it. And welcome back. This is another episode of Day Before Podcast. If it's not one technical difficulty, it's another, but we're working our way through it. How's everybody doing today? Doing great. We're as here. You, uh, Ty is here with us. As you How's heard, it going? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Good, good. Zach is in the engineer booth this week, so you won't see him on video, but he is here with us. What's up? Coach is dealing with a sick child, so he cannot be here with us. I think he just got a little camera shy. But we do have a guest, the one and only Jillian Francola. Hopefully I said that right. I should have asked beforehand. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing well. Glad to be the first woman on this podcast. Yeah, welcome, welcome. Yeah. Good to have you. Yeah. yeah. And we're video recording, so we'll see how that goes, too. Yeah, first ever woman on the podcast, first ever podcast with video. Wow. Groundbreaking day today. Yeah. yeah. We just wanted to make sure we looked good enough for the camera. <laughs> but I didn't know we were going to have these, these lights, so that, that changes the game. Yeah. Um, so how are you doing? You're, everything's all right? Yeah, everything's good. Just came off a good, good floor hockey win last night, Brandon and I. Uh, Zach was there. The whole gang was there. Getting a little roughed up out there, but it's fine. We I was gonna won. say, I think you were named the feistiest player in the in the league. Yeah, well, I mean, it was ten thirty, so it's past <laughs> my bedtime, so I'm a little feisty. So it wasn't cranky feisty, as cranky. the hour yeah. goes on. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, quick story about last year's floor hockey team. Jillian and I were playing in our final game. Brandon was there too. Yeah, and uh, we had some scraps with some of the opposing team members. And at one point, I thought one of them punched Jillian, and so I threw down my stick and went and confronted said opposing teammate. Yeah, Ty's got my back. Great. Yeah, it was great. We yeah. had each other's back. Yeah. Uh, didn't didn't come to fisticuffs, but it was close. We were ready. Yeah, yeah. we were ready. Exactly. We were ready. Yeah, and we knew who would win that fight. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Absolutely. Clearly. Yeah. Would it even be hockey if yeah. there wasn't a throwing yeah. down no, at the gloves? We we, at some we point. don't promote violence on this podcast, but if it came to it, you got to defend yourself. We'd have no problem yeah. uh, winning that yeah. fight. We, we hockey, win right? violently. We have. Yeah. To. If, we, yeah. if it goes to violence, you have to win. <laughs> yeah, oh, of course. Correct. No, you got to be ready. If you get yeah. There. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about yourself. Um, let's start just where you're from um, and maybe what brought you to Oregon, just yeah. kind of that original journey. We'll skip your professional career and then yeah. circle back okay. um, to that for more in-depth breakdown. Yeah, so I grew up in Syracuse, New York, kind of similar to Eugene, cloudy a lot, gets a lot more snow, it's colder. Um, but, yeah, I grew up there, played all kinds of sports growing up. Uh, went to college in Virginia, then moved down to Florida. So I kept getting getting more and more south, looking for some more heat. Um, <laughs> more heat, more sun. Yeah. Uh, I was playing professional golf in Florida. And then when uh, I retired from that, I was looking for what I wanted to do. And I really wanted to stay in sports somehow. Um, but I wanted to get a business background or a business degree to have more of a business background. Um, so I Googled uh, MBAs with sports business. Oregon came up, did a lot of research, talked to uh, current students or alumni, um, came out to interview. And after I, 
I interviewed, I said, well, if I get in here, I'm coming. So then I got in and Kira, my dog, and I just packed up the car and drove across country. It's quite a road trip. Yeah. To Florida, Florida to here, right? Didn't do yeah. Morgan. Wow. Yeah. And so what is it that you do right now? What is your, what's your area of focus? What are your interests as far as in the business world? Yeah. So now it's my second year of the MBA, close, getting close to uh, graduating. Um, I did an internship with Genesco Sports last summer. I was in the mm-hmm. Dallas office. Brandon was uh, my counterpart in Seattle. They beat me out for the job, both of them. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I did research and insights for their agency there and got to work across different brands and properties and pull a lot of data for the teams to use to help in their client strategies. Um, that's what I'm looking to do when I graduate. Um, yeah, that's about it. What was it about Oregon after you visited where you said – I'm going to go if I get in. What was the determining factor for you? Um, It was all of the positive things people had said that were either in the program or had graduated. Um, The experiential learning trips where you get to go to Asia. Um, I would have never been able to go uh, without this program. We In the past year and a half, we've gone to uh, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, New York, um, Japan, Shanghai, Beijing, all like a ton of places. I've been to New York, but never for a business or meeting mm-hmm, uh, right. industry professionals. And so just that opportunity alone was it for me. So have you, has, it, has it lived up to the hype? It has. It, it lived up to expectations, what yeah. you wanted it to be? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I got a contact for my internship on our Seattle trip, um, met a lot of cool people on all of our trips, um, learned about different parts of the industry that I didn't know about. Um, So, yeah, the trips have been way better than I could have imagined. Yeah, the the trip to Asia was definitely what, that's when I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, uh, I had never been to New York, so I I agree that those were kind of what drew me. So I'm glad that's kind of an across-the-board thing. Yeah. Yeah, Um, even like like professionals that we meet with in San Fran or New York, um, they always express their admiration for the Warsaw program, that they do go to Asia and that they have those additional experiences on top of solely domestic companies and domestic visits. Yeah, I think it really sets us apart, especially as the industry is way more global, as we saw with the MBA in China. But Mm -hmm. for us to be able to go there, kind of understand a little bit more about the culture, how people view sports there, and then we came back and that happened, I think it gave us a clearer perspective on how we could see both sides of the situation um, opposed to someone who had maybe never been there or immersed in in Chinese culture and Chinese sport culture yeah 100% uh, so you said you played a lot of sports growing yeah. up um, I guess what were those sports and then how did you find your way to golf and uh, and stick stuck with golf yeah um, so My mom always tells me I had too much energy when I was really little, like four or five years old. So she just put me in rec soccer and just just let me run around there. So I played soccer, travel soccer through high school, Uh, played ice hockey. That's why I love playing floor hockey. Mm -hmm. Um, Went to nationals a few times with my women's ice hockey team. So that was cool. I didn't know you were professional. Yeah, Yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Multi-sport professional here. Yeah. yeah, and uh, basketball in the, the wintertime, across, um, 
And then when I was really little, my parents were go big golfers, and I hated it. They would always try to get me to go out. I hated it. Um, you had to wear these, like, weird clothes, and you couldn't just run <laughs> around, and you had to, like, act a certain way. And so I just fought it all the time until um, I got into, like, high school hockey because that was kind of the main thing I was focusing on. And mm -hmm. um, it got a bit too physical for me. Um, and I was like, you know, you could – only play college at a, or play college hockey at a few schools and it's mostly like in the northeast or michigan and i was like i don't really want to stay somewhere where it's really cold like there's not much of a future in that and um i had started to pick up golf a bit more and was finding i was pretty good at it quickly um and so i was like okay well i can try to get a scholarship to go to school playing golf um and so that's what i did i went to university of richmond played golf there had a pretty successful college career we weren't a top program but decent enough division one um that when i was done I, I felt like i could give it a good shot to try to make it to the tour yeah talk about what is college golf like how what's that scene like i don't think i think everybody kind of you see basketball football kind of is like the big ones and you have your bowl games and you have march yeah. madness what does that season look like for golf yeah. Um, and then is there an equivalent tournament for golf uh, for the D1? <laughs> yeah. So golf is it's kind of like the other spring sports where there's your main spring season, but you still have competitions and training in the fall. And so um, you have four to five tournaments in the fall term, um, and those are usually hosted Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So you will probably travel Friday, practice around Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, compete, or Sunday, Monday, um, compete. And so you're missing a lot of class so you're when gone you're traveling. Constantly. Yeah, you're yeah, gone. So crazy. I think semesters are like 16 weeks or something. So you're gone four to five weeks um, out of the, the year in the fall. Same thing happens in the spring because I think you can start practicing in like February. Mm -hmm. um, but same four to five tournaments, uh, maybe six or seven if you make it to regionals, and then um, the NCAAs. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's tough cause you are traveling a lot. I, I was a math and econ major, so I taught myself a lot of math in the <laughs> hotel lobbies, um, at tournaments. Uh, so in college golf is a team sport and individual. So you'll bring five players and the top four scores for the day count for your team score. So you add up the low four scores for each day. Um, that becomes your cumulative team score. So there's a team winner in first, second, third, and then there's individuals based mm -hmm. on how well you do mm -hmm. um, by yourself. And so it's a it's different in that aspect than uh, either professional golf or just other golf where it's just yourself competing because there is the team aspect where there were a few tournaments where um, either I knew I wasn't playing well, but I knew my score would probably count. And so I had to keep playing, and I didn't want to let my team down. So there's that aspect of it where, you know, sometimes if you're not playing well, you're kind of like, oh, well, this is going to be a, a crappy day anyway. But the team aspect really makes you try to, you know, help your team out as well. So, yeah, I think it's different than most people think yeah. it is. And then, um, yeah, there's regionals, and there's, like, conference championships, and then regionals, and then uh, nationals. So, yeah, there's no big March Madness for golf or anything. I think they are showing uh, NCAAs for both men's and women's on Golf Channel now, which is nice. 
um, kind of see the kids competing, but yeah, it's not like the main sports, no bowl games. Right, right. <laughs> I think when people traditionally think of team sports, obviously it's golf is not one of those, right. but there is a team aspect of it, so you still get that camaraderie, you still get uh, the sense of not letting your team down. Yeah. Um, it's like the... Uh, what do, what do they do in golf, in professional golf? The Ryder Cup? Ryder's yeah, Cup? Ryder Cup yeah. for the men. President's Cup they also have. The mm-hmm. women have the Solheim Cup. And so, yeah, it's where you're playing more of a team aspect, and you can really yeah. tell that there's a lot more energy around it, yeah. both from the players and the fans, because of the team aspect. Well, you mentioned that you played well enough to consider moving on to professional mm-hmm. levels of golf. What did that look like? What was that transition like for you? Um what were the opportunities that you were presented with? Yeah, so the interesting thing about becoming a professional golfer is you only have to check a box that says you're a professional when you enter a tournament. So when hmm. you're <laughs> when you're um, completing your application, uh, you you write either uh, amateur or professional, and um, that determines like if you can win money. When you're a professional and amateur, you can't win money, um, and so there really wasn't like a big like oh I got drafted or oh I got signed by this agency or anything like that it was um me I moved to Florida I knew I wanted to play professional golf so I I found a golf coach that would help get my swing and my game um prepared but it was there were so many tours to use to prepare and so it was kind of like my first time signing up as a professional golfer I was like nervous to check the box that <laughs> I, I said I was a professional. And, and once you do that, um, then you're a professional from everything you do forward. And so there's kind of not going back. You're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Um, so, yeah, so it was kind of a big deal to finally do that first professional um, tournament. And I think my first professional one I actually did in Canada, the Canadian tour. Yeah, um, which was cool. So how'd you do? I, I think I... I think I made a check that one in my first my first event, um, and so um, they don't really pay out tournaments. Don't pay everybody who enters. You have to either make a cut and then you get paid, or top, usually like the top third, um, make a check and get paid. So yeah, there's no salary involved. It's it's if you play well enough and you make a check, you make a check. A lot of these tournaments, you also have to pay an entry fee, and so you just hope that the check that you make, if you make one, is higher than the entry fee right. and the travel expenses that you incurred to be there. So what you're saying is I could just show up at a golf tournament tomorrow <laughs> and check that I was a professional golfer, and then I would be a professional golfer? Um, technically, yes. but I mean, like obviously my yeah. skill level is not at that point. <laughs> yeah. like I wouldn't feel comfortable going and doing that, but like that's all there is to the process. Is that, you just... Yeah, that's what the process is, but I think kind of like you have to at least make a check at some point in your life to be called a professional golfer, so I don't, I don't know if you would mm. be able to do that. I don't know your golf skills, Zach. I definitely would not be able to do that. <laughs> your Wikipedia page is that. not updating. <laughs> yeah. Check the box. Yeah. <laughs> so after, after you get... After you become a professional, you check mm-hmm. the box, yeah. you, let's just say you make a check, Yeah. then do you go out and present yourself to sponsors? Do they present yourself, themselves to you? What does that look like? How do you get funding for clubs and travel? Do yeah. they help pay for that? Um, so it just kind of depends on your level of play and what tour you're on. So I played on a lot of mini tours. So there's one based in Orlando. Um, 
I ended up going to Q school a few times and, and getting some status on the Symmetra tour, which is the tour right below the LPGA. And so um, women's golf doesn't have the sponsorship support that men's golf does. So when you're out on the mini tours or the Symmetra tour, you are approaching companies saying, this is my golf resume. This is, uh, these are the tournaments I've played in. These is, this is how I finished. Um, kind of back when I was playing, it was kind of the beginning of the social media craze. Like I never got into it, but it was, now you could be like, you know, if you give me these products, I can post X many videos about it or mm -hmm. featuring it. And it, like, I'll show some practice, um, drills that I'm doing and feature your product, whether it's a, a golf swing aid or clothing or, you know, noon, if you're drinking that while you're hydrating. So it's kind of you going up to companies and, and saying, here's what I can do for you. If you could either, you know, provide product, same thing with clubs. Like, um, if you could provide equipment, then I could do this for you either on social media or, uh, if you're going to be at a tournament that we're at, I could, be the face of the clubs for the the week and, and kind of greet people that are coming to watch so um, it's kind of uh, trying to figure out how you can provide value to them did you have a favorite sponsor or someone that was more willing to work with uh, maybe yourself or just other uh, members on the tour um, there are a few like tour wide sponsors so there were there was like one putter company when I was there called Yes Putters and they were at every event and they were always willing to um you know give people putters to try out um I never ended up liking their putters so I didn't I didn't <laughs> use them but um a lot of the sponsors I had were just uh kind of like private sponsors so people I would play with at different charity events and they would kind of just get to know my story, talk to them a, a little bit, and they would say, you know, if you need anything, let me know. Like, we can work out something where I could cover your expenses for entry fees for the year, or if you need new equipment, I can help you pay for that. So that's kind of where I saw a lot of the sponsorships I had were um, people that I got to meet and get to know, and then they would kind of believe in me and help me, you know, pursue my dreams. So, what was the what was your life and travel schedule like while you're on tour? Like you mentioned, when you're, you know, in school, you're going four or five times a semester. How much does that ramp up when you get to the professional level, or is it maybe very similar because you need to space your events out um, for practice time or just kind of working on your game? Um, yeah. So it, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish sometimes you just need to take a break from tournaments and work on your game and really perfect either something in your swing or um, really practice something um, other times you've put the work into practice and you really want to tournament test what you've done so you want to play in a lot of events maybe not high caliber events but you know one day events I played in a lot of one day events that were like men's events but they would let me play and I would play from the back tees with the guys um, just if I wanted to you know I had been working on something and just wanted to get out because the pressure of a tournament is obviously different than you know just being at the range practicing and so just to give myself tournament conditions um, to really try stuff out um, it's really hard on the mini tours and it's really hard on the Symmetra tour because um, the pay isn't great but the good thing about the Orlando events was they were all in Orlando, so I could live there, 
drive to events, not have to worry about too like hotels mm-hmm. or flying anywhere. Um, when I would play on in Symmetra events, I would either m- most of the time I just drove, and so I was putting like twenty four thousand miles on my car every year, and I wow. think it's like the average person puts twelve thousand on a year. So did a lot of driving to different events. Um, a lot of the time I'd be on the alternate list, and so you get into a tournament based on the status that you have for the year, how you've been playing, and there's alternates, so if someone drops out, they're sick or they can't make it, something happens, alternates can step in, and I think I started a an online, like a WordPress blog at one point, it was like life on the alternate list, because <laughs> it's so random, like I was playing an event in Niagara Falls, and I got a call that I was on the, like, number two on the alternate alternate list for an event in Michigan, and I was like, well, I'm already, like, halfway there because I had driven from Syracuse, like, three hours to um, Niagara Falls. And I was like, well, what's another, what, like eight hours? I don't know. So I drove there, ended up not getting into that tournament. But then the following week, um, there was a tournament in Harris, Michigan. And I don't know if anyone knows where that is, but that's in the Upper Peninsula. Oh, uh, yeah. And so that is way up that's there. That's way up there, So yeah. I drove up there. Um, and I think I got, yeah, I got into that tournament. But I was so far away from... Syracuse and I I had like driven my mom's car because I came up to visit and I was like I gotta drive all the way back but I had a friend from college in Chicago so then I just drove down to Chicago visited her and then drove back so it's a lot of driving it's a lot of am I in am I not in waiting Um, when you get your chance when you do get in you really have to prove yourself otherwise you're not gonna make any of the money back Mm -hmm. that you just spent to get there Um, so it's definitely a grind it's hard. And I think five or six years of doing that kind of just wore me down. And I was like, I can't like I stopped enjoying golf. I didn't mm-hmm. love to play golf anymore because of um, it was just all day, every day, golf, grinding and not really making any headway. So that's when I decided I was like, mm, I got to step away. I'm not happy anymore. That's got to be tough. I mean, I've heard yeah. similar stories of minor league baseball players Mm -hmm. going through the same thing where they get drafted out of college or high school, play five years in the minors. And for those who don't know about minor league salaries, they are very low. I mean, I think I heard at one time that guys were making like $14,000 a year, which is ridiculous. Um, And five years go by, they're still not in the bigs, don't have that contract, and they just burn out. Pro players, good players, they've just got – whoever playing in front of them at the big league level. And so they just can't make it. And so, uh, yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Was golf ever your favorite sport that you played or was it kind of that decision? Like I can make it and like, I'm good enough at it that I could play collegiately and that may land a scholarship. And was there any added pressure maybe from your parents to Uh, go to it? Um, yeah, my parents definitely wanted me to play golf. Like for sure. My dad, hated taking me to hockey tournaments in the winter time because one time we were driving in Canada and literally the half of the car was iced over when we got out because we were driving like through an ice storm and he was a big golfer and he's like why can't you just play golf so we could like go to Florida together and play golf or like go to Arizona and play golf and like I wouldn't have to drive through Canadian winters um so yeah I think there was there was a lot of pressure from them to kind of like golf and enjoy it more because it you know, it's a family sport. Then my brother and my parents and I could all play together. Um, so there there was the pressure th- there. I don't know if golf was ever, like, 
far, by far and large like my favorite sport because I always kind of liked physical sports but again when I was one of the smaller ones in hockey and everyone <laughs> else had like had their growth spurts and gotten bigger and stronger and I was kind of not into it then but of course I miss it now because we're in right. floor hockey throwing yeah. down so um yeah. <laughs> so yeah I think it was it was like I think I'm good enough at this sport to have a collegiate career and maybe something after um I don't I don't know if it was ever like the sport that I would have to play because I haven't played a lot since coming to school here and after I stopped playing um it took me like a year and a half to go back to school and I really I mean I like when I play now I, I enjoy it now but it's not like you know I have to go out and play mm -hmm. or else I go crazy are you the best in your family you beat all your family members uh yeah most of the time yeah, yeah. nice yeah nice <laughs> so it's a friendly competition it's yeah. a friendly friendly yeah. family game yeah. but you're still there to win. Always. All right. Always good. there to win. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, for the record, you are retired, retired. Retired, Never yeah. going back. No, never going back. I'm thinking about <laughs> trying to get... So you can go through a process with the USGA and get your am amateur status back. <clears throat> it takes like a year or so. You just have to prove that you really haven't played in professional events, haven't played in anything, which clearly I haven't. Um, and then maybe play in more amateur events like the USAM, maybe try to practice and qualify for that at some point. I, I've had some friends uh, that have done that that were also kind of at my era, and they've stepped away from professionally competing but um, tried to qualify for the USAM and stuff. So maybe that's in my future. I don't know. Nice. So not ruling it out. I like it. Yeah. So Always an opportunity. There's a, there's, there's, a chance. A, there's a comeback chance. Yeah. Nice. Would you ever try hockey again? Go professional hockey now? Yeah, I know. There wasn't professional hockey when I was growing up, and that was kind of one thing. Like, uh, There was the Olympics, and that was huge, the mm -hmm. Winter Olympics. Um, but there wasn't a professional hockey league. And so that was one of the things, like, is there a future beyond college? Um, probably not. I don't know. Um, no, definitely not. Yeah. Too old but for that. My knees hurt just running around, so... <laughs> Well, we see a lot of women's sports are on the rise, like yeah. hockey. Mm -hmm. um, women's soccer in the U.S. is Huge. by far and away way better than men's soccer. Yeah. Uh, WNBA is on the rise. Yeah. Um, what are some trends that you've noticed in women's sports in general? Maybe if you want to give an example in golf that you've seen or maybe some from your experience that was how things were in the past that maybe has changed in women's sports. Yeah. Um Kind of one thing is there's starting to be more acceptance of women's sports and, and people supporting women's sports. I think for a long time, the WNBA was the, the premier women's professional sports league in the U.S. And there's a lot of people writing it off, you know, oh, like I could beat them. A lot of guys <laughs> would say, you know, if I got on the court with them, I could beat them. Um, you know, a lot of the... WNBA players had to go to Russia and Europe to, in the offseason to just make enough money to live. Mm -hmm. um, that's, of course, changing now with the new CBA and um, a lot of the support that they're getting from the NBA, kind of trying to wrap a lot of what the NBA sponsorships are into uh, WNBA sponsorships, trying to kind of share the wealth almost. Um, I think that's really cool and I think that's where soccer is trying to go with the U.S. Federation you know we have these two teams 
but the men's team gets a lot more corporate support. Um, so trying to make it more fair from the bottom up, from kids training in like ODP camps, make sure the boys and girls are fairly supported and training all through up until they get into the professional leagues, the, the national teams, um, just making sure there's a bit more equality throughout the whole process. It's not, I don't think it's about, you know, if the contract that the men sign starts at a million, the women's needs to start at a million. I think it's just m more equitable, you know, maybe percentage-wise. So, And by percentage-wise, you're talking about like, relative dollars going yeah. to men's versus yeah. women's? Yeah, more relative equality instead of absolute. Okay, all right. Um, the NBA is obviously is one of the major sports leagues um, in the U.S., and we've seen that they've started to run ads and commercials where they're mentioning WNBA players or they're having kind of joint commercials with the WNBA where you don't have, like, an equivalent for soccer. Um, so if do you think that these NBA commercials have been kind of very helpful or maybe even played a part in the new CBA that they signed? And how would you see that translating when you don't have one of the powerhouse or the top three leagues kind of supporting it? Yeah, I think it's it has to help because when, when kids, both boys and girls, are watching these com commercials, they're saying either I want to be like LeBron when I grow up or, you know, maybe I want to be like Sue Bird. And it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. You could say, like, uh, if you're a little girl, you're like, I want to be LeBron, like, I want to be that kind of player or if you're a boy and you could see like how Sue Bird plays and you could say hey like I love how she plays I want to be like that when I grow up and so I think just exposing kids and adults to um, every type of professional player I think it really helps people see themselves and where they could be or just more relatable so I think that really helps um, yeah hockey's interesting because the Canadian Women's Hockey League like folded last year, and you're like, if women's Canada's hockey, Canada's like the top yeah. hockey and in you're like, the world. Uh, if women's hockey yeah. can't survive in Canada, like, is there is there a chance for it? Right? Does it I make does it make business sense yeah. even? Yeah. Right. And and so I think what the the National Women's Hockey League, the U.S. Professional Women's League, was trying to do is have teams in cities and almost affiliated with NHL teams. So in Boston, I think there's a women's team and, and kind of team up with the Bruins, kind of the NBA, WNBA model. I think that is really helpful for these leagues because, you know, the NBA has so much exposure and so much money that it can, you know, help support the WNBA, not just like give it money to give money, but support to teach the owners of the teams and the players, like how can they market themselves the best to bring more visibility and so I think, you know, maybe that's where the NHL and WNHL or uh, National Women's Hockey League have to go. Maybe that's where U.S. soccer goes with the MLS and then the, the National Women's Soccer League um, because there are overlapping cities that have both of those teams. And so if they are able to kind of capitalize on both of them, like both using their exposure, both using whatever sponsorships they have, and combining, I think it can elevate both, both mm -hmm. teams. 
I think people forget the WNBA is a really young league. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say mid late nineties. Yeah. So I think we might be older than the league itself. Um, <laughs> but when the NBA was young, the NBA almost folded a yep. couple of times when it was mm-hmm. really young, and then you just happened to get Magic and Bird, and then Jordan kind of solidified it. So. Well, the NFL, yeah. the NFL even almost folded because you had the yeah. AFL and the NFL that were like competing leagues. And then really what saved them was when they combined, right? And they yeah. merged into, into one. So, Yeah, I think these women's leagues are very young. And it yeah. just kind of yeah. takes time to develop a fan base, develop, you know, their business sense and, and how to support themselves financially. So hopefully there's still time. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that how you said that those teams that are in the same cities as uh, a men's team that's more established could partner and learn from the leadership of the men's teams. And that's not to say that the leadership of the women's teams doesn't know what they're doing, mm-hmm. but these men's teams are a little bit more established and maybe they have... They have a lot more resources, not just mm, yeah, financial, yeah. more connections, mm-hmm. more um, people willing to support them. So if they're able to leverage that, then right. it's not just... I don't think anyone just wants a handout of cash because you have to know what to do with it. Right, Yeah. Right. Um. We were very fortunate. We had the USA women's basketball team come and play against our uh, Oregon's women's basketball team, yeah. which was a very exciting game. We've, I think I sat next to you at that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for the better part of the past decade, UConn has dominated women's basketball with, I believe, multiple 100-game win streaks. I think it's three separate 100-game win streaks. Yeah. Um, and so... They were a team that kind of dominated, and they were on ESPN, and everybody knew, like, okay, UConn's women basketball. That is your that's that's kind of your threshold of what you know it is. Yeah. But they did get a lot of coverage, and and people at UConn were going. There were more people were going to UConn's women's games and their men's teams games. Um, but now we've seen the rise of South Carolina, Baylor, Oregon, and it seems to have. Kind of e- the playing field seed have evened out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in your opinion, do you think it's better to have the the super dominant team that's getting the headlines, or the wealth kind of gets spread out a little bit more, and so maybe you're not getting the same number of headlines across, but you have more markets that are feeling the impact of these games, and now maybe. You know, Oregon. More people in Oregon are going to see it. More people in in South Carolina are going to watch games, and they're more aware of it, kind of on a local level. Um, I think for sure it has to be the more more localized, so spread spreading out. Um, I think that is. I mean, it, it was Tennessee before UConn, yeah. and then it became UConn. And I think it back then it was just there were so few elite players, but now since the game has been growing, and a lot of kids grew up watching, you know, Pat Summit and her team and then Gino at UConn, that more girls are getting into basketball because they kind of see it as, you know, you could be successful at this. And um, so I think there's way more elite basketball players out there, so there's more schools for them to go to. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Matthew Knight Arena is almost packed every every game I go to. Yeah. And, um, I mean, if we could get a town and, like, or a city with a, a good women's team. I mean, that's you could get like 50 cities to do that, and that would be so many more fans, so many more people engaged, so many more people supporting, and um, 
Yeah, that's way better than having one because if you're in Oregon and Yukon's winning everything, you're never going to experience that unless they come here. And it's not likely that they'd come all the way to Oregon. And so just being able to have more people experience it, I think, creates more fans. And then you force people to, it's, you force ESPN and Fox yeah. Sports to have to show it because yeah, because gonna... people are talking about it. Local papers, local TV stations are showing. You know, Sabrina and Ruthie and everybody on the Oregon team. Like ESPN has to cover it at some point. All these big news stations have to cover it because of of what Oregon's mm-hmm. done and you know Baylor the same thing. Like they're really dominant now. So I think it just forces more coverage to go that way. I think one of the cool things that I've seen is that I have uh, people that have asked me if I can get them tickets to the basketball game. And traditionally, when I hear that, it's like, okay, you want to go to the men's basketball game this night, right? Whereas now I have to clarify, like, okay, do you want to go to the women's or the men's? Because our women are dominating and they're awesome and they're a spectacle and you need to go see them. And our men's team is also really good. They're still ranked. And so it's like, yeah. And so, but traditionally it's just been Wherever you are, it's like the, the, ba- the basketball game means the, the men's, men's game. game or yeah. you have to specify the women's game. Exactly. But and now it's like, well, which one? Mm-hmm. They're both so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's cool. I think the interesting thing about this Oregon team, too, is that Sabrina has drawn attention from Steph Curry. She's from the Bay Area. Um, mm-hmm. That's her favorite player. But I believe Kobe Bryant did a detailed episode, which is his ESPN Plus show that he had. Yeah. Um, where he broke down one of her games, and they kind of started to build a relationship. And he was really pushing this women's sports, women's basketball yeah. specifically. Um, and so I think that you've, she has been able to captivate just a large audience that we haven't necessarily, we've seen st- superstars, don't yeah. get me wrong. Diana Taurasi, Maya Moore, I think, lost four games in college in four years. Yeah. So, like, we've seen it happen before, but she seemed to take it to another level while still in college. Yeah. Um, can you talk to just maybe how it – what it's like to see her and do you think she can be, like, a household name that we've never seen before just because maybe Tarasi and those players just weren't in the – they didn't have the social media area like we have and the access – and things like that. Yeah, I think it has to do with with the time we're in now with social media. And, um, you know, you could be in Connecticut, but watching Oregon basketball, either streaming or or just videos online. And so I think the point that Sabrina's at now is because of everyone who's come before her. Um, and they've paved the way to, to bring light and, and eyeballs to women's basketball. But I think the era of social media is really going to help her. I think her just likability as a person and as a role model, I think is really going to help her. Um, I think her staying here for four years really helped solidify her dedication to Oregon. And so Oregon is buying into her even more, just people of Eugene and Oregon. Um, Yeah, I think she's going to be really, really good for women's basketball because she's trying to be smart with her brand. They just did an article about her, how she's doing her, uh, grad school year here at the journalism school and brand management because she wants to learn how to manage herself better when she gets out and she gets drafted and just so she can have the best opportunity um, going forward. So, yeah, I think where she's at now is because of all those other players, but they're really helping. She's going to create, I think, the next kind of WNBA superstar. Yeah. I just kind of wish it was in like a big city, like not in Eugene, you know. Yeah. Like I think you don't, 
you might not get the same love from the entire city or captivate the entire city the same way, but you would just kind of almost really like to see it be like even a Portland or just a Seattle or something like that where you just really have a big city and a big market behind it. Um, yeah, but I think that it's also nice that it is so small because, I mean, let's be honest, in the winter in Eugene, there's not much else going on besides yeah. uh, men's and women's basketball. And so I think it just gave something like it's something for people to do. And that's why people keep going back, because not only is it like there's nothing else to do, but it's a really good time. The atmosphere there when the women are playing is insane. Um, I think it just allows people if there's less competition of where you can spend your time and your your dollars. We always talk about this in class, the competing for mm -hmm. for women, people's um, dollars and share a wallet. But yeah, I think that kind of helps create more of like a close knit environment. I don't know. I think it's I think it's could go either way. You know, if yeah. you're in a big Portland, yeah, there's a lot more support. But you know, on a night, are you going to go to a Timbers game or? Uh, trailblazers game or are you going to go to like when sabrina's playing like there's that toss up there but here it's there's nothing else so like that's what people do and i think the buzz that you know everyone is always talking about matthew knight is sold out it's like every game i don't know how many sold out games we've had in the past two years that we've been here but yeah i think it creates a lot of buzz and people across the country are like oh wow like you guys are selling out all the time and i think it's a good thing that team, that team is really good. I don't think people realize that. Like, they yeah. went to UConn and, and waxed UConn. Yeah, <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, they yeah. they beat the USA team, mm -hmm. which hasn't been beaten in like nineteen. Since I think Tennessee did it. Yeah, since 96. Tennessee yeah. did it. Yeah, and so yeah, the team is amazing. Yeah, they're really good. High expectations. Yeah. yeah. I think they got a title shot at them. Like it just feels shot. like that, because yeah. they they, they yeah. waxed UConn. They yeah. beat Stanford pretty bad. Mm -hmm. They beat they just beat UCLA's rank seven. They just beat yeah. them. They beat the Beavers twice. They beat Oregon State. Top, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Top five. So, yep. Oregon State game was sold out. I actually bought tickets to that game. Yeah. So like they're definitely. It's just fun to watch. I I love it especially with her being from the Bay Area. I just yeah. feel like Washington University have, of Washington. The last game home game is sold out. Just because people want to go and the last see her one, see her one yeah. last time, see the whole team one last time before potentially. Are those student tickets released? When's that game? No, Sunday, I think. Until the till March Madness starts, mm -hmm. you gotta send and the get tournament tickets and yeah. stuff. Yeah. I think the first game is in Eugene. Is it? As long as they have a, a one a or one seed, yeah, a one or a two seed, I think host the host the regionals before I, they. I believe they're in the Portland bracket. Mm -hmm. and they will be. I yeah, I think the first. Either the first game or the second, both first and first second two, game would first be and second rounder. So that'd that be really would be cool. insane. That would be cool. Tickets are gonna be crazy. Yeah, we definitely gotta go up to Portland. That'd be sick. Yeah, <laughs> get a group. All right. So, well. so as an overall, um, I don't know if we're wrapping up here fairly soon, but as an overall uh, opinion of where women's sports at are at right now, are you happy with what you see? Do you wish there was more that we would see? Uh, more efforts being done? Uh, do you think we're on the right trajectory? I mean, there could always be more done. Mm -hmm. um, but I think with the buzz of the U.S. women's uh, soccer team, what they're doing, uh, renegotiating their CBA, um, also dominating the world in, in women's soccer. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, th so that's really helpful. The WNBA renegotiation is great. Um, I think we're on a really good trajectory. I think it's just going to take... Um, more 
male athletes supporting women's um, sports and advocating for them. Um, I think one really good example is the down in Australia a few weeks ago, they had a men's and women's professional event. So it was like the Australian Ladies Professional League. Um, I think it was uh, some of the the men's uh, tours too. They had a a co-ed event where they were playing the same course. It was every other group was either all men or all women. And they competed for two separate prizes, but they were equal value. And so Jeff Ogilvie, who's a, a famous professional golfer on the PGA Tour, um, he kind of had a video that went viral that was like, you know, there's more than just guys in the world. People don't just want to see men's golf. He even said, you know, he was walking around watching a lot of the women play and um, saying how there's a lot of things that they do differently than the men that, you know, he could learn from and that, you know, women are tend to be a little bit more accurate, you know, with a hybrid. There's some women that could hit a hybrid to 10 feet every time, and he said he wished he could do that. And mm-hmm. so... Um, I think it just takes more male athletes with their their platform um, to just be supportive and say, hey, why don't you go check out these women that are playing? Like, they're awesome, too. It's a different style, but, you know, everyone can learn something. Everyone can appreciate um, what's happening. So I think that's one thing that everyone could be better about is just advocating for everybody. Yeah. And we see that that's at work. point. Yeah. Tennis does it. Right? Yeah. And yeah. Tennis does it. They have, I think it's their major, all their all majors, the majors. Yeah. Same, same courts, same everything. Um, I know it's not the same, but the CrossFit games. Yeah. CrossFit same games. prize money. Yeah. Same workouts. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it, it can be done. I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Great. All right. Well, I'll end it with two things. One. Yeah. If you haven't seen Coco Goff play tennis, she's yeah. 15. <laughs> yeah, she's and she's amazing. Gotten, she's gotten to like two quarterfinals and I think uh, maybe one semifinal yeah. out of those two. So she uh, to think that she could do that at 15 is incredible. Uh, and two, I read an article. I think NFL viewership for women is up six percent on ESPN. <laughs> on yeah. ESPN. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't know if you had heard it's that. Amazing. I wanted to share yeah, that with I you. Yeah, I think I. Yeah, Absolutely when amazing. we went to ESPN, I think that was brought up. But yeah, definitely <laughs> NFL female viewership is up. And I knew I heard it so, somewhere. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna wrap it up. Zach, you have anything else? Oh, we're good. All right. So hopefully this recorded, and we at least have video, so you can just watch us looking yeah. good yeah. if you can't hear Great. us for forty-five minutes. Yeah. Um, but that's another episode. We will see you next week. We appreciate you, Jilly. Thanks yeah. for coming Thank on. Thanks for, coming. for having yeah. me. It's fun. Best nickname in the group. Yeah, for sure. <laughs>